Wednesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back with you for another day and another very good show to bring you right now. Marcus Fuller from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a few minutes to talk Gopher men's basketball. They started practice this week, year three for uh, for Ben Johnson, head coach. New roster, bunch of new players, new backcourt, hoping for better health, better chemistry, and a, a kind of a, a look forward this year. A, a, they got to do something this year to take a step forward here in year three. I think they were laying a decent foundation in year one, although a lot of that was with players who were, you know, kind of one-year fixes after the roster turned over so much after Richard Pitino uh, was let go. And then you get to uh, then you get to year two, and it just all kind of fell apart last year. The wheels came off. They just didn't really have the team that you thought they were going to have a year ago. There wasn't that sense of progress that you thought they would have um, a year ago. So now year three comes here, and uh, a big one for Ben Johnson and uh, Marcus Fuller, and I will talk about that here in just a few minutes. Um, aside from that, I've got a few questions from listeners that I want to get to, and usually I run those all at once, but today. I'm going to split those up into kind of an, a starting segment and an, and an ending segment because I think the first one gives me an entry point to talk a little bit about something I've been thinking about, which is the Twins postseason roster, and the last two give me a chance to talk a little bit about the Vikings. So without further ado, haven't used this for a little while. Time to check my social media, y'all. Just see who loves me online. Hashtag Life. If you love it when I use that, sorry, I'm not going to use it again at the end of the show when I use more listener questions. And if you hate it, congratulations. That's the only time you have to hear it on this show. But let's get to let's get to what I missed. The twins win eleven to three. They're you know kind of cruising towards a, a, a tr- cruising towards the postseason. Um, still an outside chance to get that number two seed, although. Anybody doing the math has to look at it and realize that not only are they behind all three of the teams in the American League West that are battling for that title, but Seattle and Texas start a four-game series on Thursday. One of those two teams is going to win at least you know, two. Even if they split, there's going to be two wins in the bank for both of those teams. So it's pretty difficult to see a path for the Twins to get all the way there. So almost definitely going to be the number three seed in this, uh, in this, uh, in, in how this all sorts itself out. Fan graphs giving the Twins just a 0.8% chance of getting a buy. So maybe put those thoughts way in the back of your head. I guess stranger things have happened. We've seen strange things happen, but that's not the real question right now. The real question is the postseason roster. And that brings me to the first question that I got. The subject line was simply mistake. Question. Sonny Gray has the third best ERA in all of baseball. He's six years older and way more experienced than Pablo Lopez. More playoff experience. Last time Gray pitched in the playoffs, he gave up one hit in five innings. and They both have had a bad inning, but Pablo's are worse and come earlier. Pablo might tax the bullpen more the first game than Gray would. Gray is a feisty bulldog. Pablo is a cute poodle. I don't know if I'd put it that way. And they should start Maeda in Game 3 over Ryan. More experienced pitching great right now. Real bad mistakes, if you ask me. So, Ben taking the Twins to task for their projected uh, their projected lineup, their projected pitching rotation of 
Pablo Lopez in game one, Sonny Gray in game two, and it's looking like Joe Ryan in game three with Kenta Maeda maybe being kind of the next man up in that game if Ryan should falter or you know kind of piggybacking on that start if they only want to send him through once or twice through the lineup. To me, it's interesting. I feel like I like Lopez as the game one starter for a couple reasons. One of them is kind of that I think it's the opposite of what uh, of what Ben's saying. I think Pablo Lopez has a chance to work deeper into the game than Sonny Gray. I think Pablo Lopez has shown that he'll give you six, seven innings pretty consistently this season, whereas Sonny Gray sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes gets a little bit cute, gets a little bit nibbly with his pitches. I don't know if nibbly is a word, but I just made it a word. Starts to nibble a little bit, and the pitch count gets up. He can only go five, and sometimes those five are good. But I would rather have the guy in game one who can give me more innings, who is you know maybe a little bit more of a strikeout pitcher, Pablo Lopez, well over 200 strikeouts this season. I think it's a 1A and 1B situation. I don't think it's necessarily that uh, that either one you know is, is light years ahead of the other, but I see the logic the Twins have in going with Pablo Lopez in game one. And I like the idea of Sonny Gray in game two. If you lose game one, I like the idea of having Sonny Gray there to get you perhaps to a game three. If you if you win game one with Pablo Lopez, which they certainly could because Pablo Lopez is a very good pitcher, then you have Sonny Gray going out there to try to close things out. So I like I like Sonny Gray as a game two starter. Um, Ryan over Maeda is an interesting one. I don't think that's been officially announced yet, but I think that is the way the Twins are leaning. I don't know what I would do exactly. I think Joe Ryan was pitching really well this year before he got injured, and I think he's been decent since he got back. I think Kenta Maeda does give you more experience, but sometimes in the postseason it comes down to stuff, and I think Joe Ryan has better stuff than Kenta Maeda. You know, you need good stuff to beat good teams. These these teams are going to whoever they play is going to have a good lineup. This isn't going to be Kansas City or Oakland they're facing. This is going to be one of the better teams in the American League, and stuff plays in the in the in the playoffs which the twins have found out the hard way when basically nobody except johan santana has won a playoff game in a very long time so i get it why they're doing it that way i also wonder if there is an element of this at play pablo lopez is their guy they went and they went out and got him they traded luis arias for pablo lopez he is here for the long term signed that pretty big extension after he got here he is their guy going forward sunday gray is a free agent at the end of this season. Joe Ryan is their guy. They traded Nelson Cruz for him in 2021. They've made him a part of the rotation pretty much ever since then. He's been a rotation mainstay ever since then. He is their guy. Kenta Maeda has been their guy, but he too is a free agent at the end of this season. I don't think that is a determining factor, but it could be a tiebreaker in, okay, we want these guys. We want to know what these guys do in this situation. We think these are our guys, not just for this year, but for the future, and we want to give them the ball in these big games. I don't know if that's any part of this reasoning, but it does strike me that if that, if that is how the decision goes right now in Game 1 versus Game 2 and who is the starter in Game 3, that that is how it looks like it will shake out, and that could be part of the rationale uh, in, in this. But all, all things told, I think it's very interesting to watch what the Twins do with their playoff roster. I think the, the Royce Lewis question is fascinating. The Byron Buxton question is fascinating. I think Royce Lewis maybe potentially having to be a DH if he's not full speed 
speed could give the Twins an out with Byron Buxton instead of saying, well, Buxton you know, has been our DH a lot of this year. He's, he's healthy enough to play. Let's put him on the roster. You can't have two DHs on your roster. Maybe Royce Lewis being limited to DH duty, which still would give him a lot of value if as long as he could swing the bat 100% or close to 100%. That could give them an out to say, you know what? There's no room on this roster for Byron Buxton, which I don't think there should be at this point anyway. I just don't think he's shown enough coming back that he is ready to contribute in a meaningful way and it was not playing well before he got injured in the first place. So maybe the Royce Lewis lingering hamstring, if he's able to play but only can DH, that could give them an out and solve one of their more complicated roster questions going forward. A lot of those to solve, a lot of things still to sort out before they play their first game, almost certainly on Tuesday. It is going to be fascinating. And I think I mentioned this already, but by way of one more plug, there will be tons of Twins content next week. Going to plan a special podcast episode next Monday, probably go live late afternoon. Uh, Big preview show to get ready for the playoffs. That's a special episode and special episodes off of all the playoff games game one game two maybe a game three we'll see you know if necessary could be in the in the right direction or the wrong direction but we will have uh, special special editions in addition to the regular podcasts after all those games so look forward to that um, when you uh, when you're getting your baseball fix next week grand casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion The hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. In the studio today with Marcus Fuller, loving the... uh, Loving the face-to-face, Marcus, trying to do this more often as, uh, as time goes on here. Marcus, of course, covers college basketball, Gophers men's basketball here at the Star Tribune. Um, practice just started this week for the Gophers, Marcus. You've written a few things already, kind of getting us primed for the season. But um, room, for, room for improvement is probably the, the main thing here, and, and I guess how high the ceiling is as we think about the start of the year and what you've seen so far, some of these early practices and lead up to it, what what stand out as some kind of key themes and storylines? Um, yeah, no, like I said, always good to be here talking gopher hoops. It's a little, I'm a little nervous though. It's first time face to face, you know, the studio's looking pretty good here. Yeah, I'm studio, sure, studio's I'm sure nice. you have a lot more important people in here than me. So No, no, you are, <laughs> you are one of the most important people we could have in here. And yeah, yeah, we've done, you know, we've done so many of these on Zoom over the years and especially, like you know. It's easier sometimes that way, but I like this setup. It's better uh, here. Yeah. I've, I've done these, I've done a bunch of these, you know, at least in the last six months or so as we've kind of emphasized more more being in the office and it's still easy to do it on zoom sometimes but sure. seeing you making eye contact yep. in real life like i've done some with like chip scoggins yep. in here and you some won't other see folks. me crying too much yet because the season hasn't started no and um and like you said you asked me about um you know the, the go for basketball team's practices i haven't watched one yet i plan to yep. soon um you know i promise i won't be crying after that because <laughs> i do think that they have a lot more talent than they did uh, in previous years uh, even without seeing it, just on paper, um, you're looking at you know some transfers that have come in, experienced ones, mainly in the backcourt. I mean, this backcourt last year, I'm not you know throwing any sh- uh, you know shade on on guys that weren't are not here anymore. But you know, there's a transfer that left, um, struggled a little bit at point guard last year. 
Um, and now, you know, they've got two point guards in the portal. Have a lot of experience. I, I don't have my um, numbers in front of me, but I want to say about 130 starts combined wow. okay. for them. Elijah Hawkins, uh, Mike Mitchell Jr. Um, you know, the, the schools they came from, you know, don't jump out at you, Howard and Pepperdine. But Howard did go to the NCAA tournament, okay. um, and he was an all-conference point guard in Hawkins. Um, both of these guys actually, you know, if you just go straight stats, I mean, I don't think there's a Big Ten team um, right now that has two returning guards that shot over 43% from three and had five assists last year. So these two guys, you know, they got it done. Um, you know, how did they play together? We don't know. Um, I mean, one guy is 5'11", a um, little small for the Big Ten guard, but he's very quick. Um, like I said, he can shoot it. Uh, Mike Mitchell is about 6'2". Okay. You know, a little bit b- bigger yeah. uh, for, for a Big Ten, a power five guard, and that's what they need. Um, but I think those two guys um, give them experience, which is huge. I mean, they're not no power five experience. These guys have played against yeah. power five teams. So once the Big Ten comes, I think that's when, you know, the eyes open and say, hey, this is a different level. We want to see how they perform then. But to have those two guards was huge. I mean, they, they searched well, the portal quite a bit. I mean, we've talked about it on, the, on this well, and, and you podcast. Talk, and last year, yeah. I mean, you talked about like how much – like how much backcourt play just fuels everything. And sure. they just, you know, not, like you said, not to malign anybody that was here, but they just didn't have it a lot of last year. No, they didn't. And again, what scares you a little bit is the guy that, that left was six foot four, 200 yeah. pounds. I mean, he, he looked the part of a, yeah. of a big 10 guard, but there's a lot more that goes into it. You know I mean? Offensive minded wasn't too aggressive scoring at times, shooting the ball. So I think they're going to need that from these guys. They need to be, you know, be able to be a threat. Um, I like Braden Carrington. You know, uh, last year he was injured, but um, again, he's got a little bit more size. He also, I mean, he's a, he's a local kid that cares a lot about the program. I mean, he's only been here a year, but I mean, he's you know he's been around Gopher basketball yeah. a long time. Uh, Cameron Christie's the one probably people are most excited about. Yeah, from Illinois, um, right? Right, and he you know he was he's six foot six. I mean, his brother's in the NBA. Um, there, people have said that he's a little bit ahead where his brother was. Uh, like last year, as far as like size and and not a bit. I mean, he was a his brother was a McDonald's All American, um, but he's bigger than his brother was, a little bit more athletic. So I think you know there's a chance for him to make a, a huge impact as sounds a freshman. Like yeah, sounds like it. But again, you know we've seen freshmen in the past that have had had a lot on their shoulders and they struggled. Yeah, you know I think if you take a lot of pressure off of him. You know, he's not the main guy. Obviously, he's, he's got other guards there. Yeah. Um, he might be a little bit more effective. I mean, we saw that, I think, a few years ago. It's more than a few years now with Amir Kafi. Yeah. You know, he came in and he didn't, I mean, he, he, he was their leading scorer after a few games, but didn't have to be, you know. And then yeah. as, the, as the games, as the season settled in, you know, the veterans kind of took over and, and he was kind of that, you know, backup role um, where, you know, to have a guy, obviously, he's in the NBA now. Um, that's not your one, two, you know, even third threat. Um, that that's going to be big for this team. So depth is is kind of the number one thing for Ben Johnson this year. Is like a lot more depth, you know. And then probably the next thing is health. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I wrote about that for sure. That's one of my five things to yeah. watch is is health. Front court feels like it has the potential to be a strength at least. Talk about you know, Dawson Garcia, Pharrell Payne, and. Maybe Parker Fox. I mean, he's talking about the health. Like, that's a guy who they've been kind of waiting for for a while now, and maybe he's going to hopefully finally be healthy and get a chance to show what he can do. But that that feels like it has the potential at least to be a strength if some of those guards that are new can get them the ball and, and kind of free them up to do those things. Yeah, I mean, um, they're, they're deepest at forward. Um, you know, in the Big Ten, 
you like to have some, you know, some uh, meat inside. I mean, Pharrell Payne is a, is a definitely a big body, 6'9", 255. Um, last year, you know, he was a freshman. He has to do a lot of the dirty work. Yeah. Um, they didn't really have much else, you know. Um, but now, um, I mean, Dawson, obviously, he's a he's an unbelievable uh, talent. Um, you know, playing with his back to the basket is not his strength. You know, I mean, he needed Pharrell to, to kind of be where Pharrell yeah. was expected to be this year. Right. But as a freshman, he wasn't ready for that. He had the body and he was physically ready, but he wasn't mentally ready. He didn't have the experience. So having Pharrell have an extra year, having the experience, now he knows what to expect. You take that pressure off of Dawson to have to be that center, that back to the basket. You know, I'm going to guard, you know, Zach E. He's just not big enough. No, I mean, no. I mean, he, I mean, 6'11", 240. He's tall, he's tall enough, but he just doesn't, that's not his game. Right, exactly. And so now you have Pharrell, a, a year of experience. I mean, he, like I said, he's got the body for it. They brought in a transfer, Jack Wilson from Washington State, a former offensive lineman. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a six, fun story. 6'11", 300 pounds. Jeez. I mean, he... He actually doesn't look 300, okay. you know, um, but I mean, he, he'll probably lift up a car. I mean, he he looks like the Hulk out there. And you need those type of bodies in the Big Ten. Right. I mean, I, you know, the, the Big Ten's changed a little bit over the years where they've had some really good guards, um, you know, and, and guys go, go on to the NBA. But at the same time, I mean, they're always producing uh, a 7-foot, 300-pound or 6'10", 250-pound dude. And, you know, this year is no different with Edie coming back. Um, you know, uh, some some Minnesota fans will recognize the name Dane Danger from yeah. from Park Center. He's at Illinois, and so there's guys out there. There's what Ben Johnson likes to call dudes. There's dudes. He's inside, a dude. You know yeah. what I mean? And so you have a dude in Pharrell Payne. You have yep. another guy in, in Jack Wilson who's probably not going to be a big offensive threat, but he can bang. You know, what I mean, if you just need that, and I, you know, you, again, I started off talking about the depth at forward. Parker Fox, yep. Isaiah Enan, guys yep. that were out a couple years with knee injuries, they're healthy. You're not going to want too much from them in the beginning. They just need to get their feet wet, get their legs on, from, under them. And I think guys like, uh, you know, if you if you look at Joshua Joseph, yeah, as a, as a sophomore this year, um, you know, he started 24 games last year as a freshman, the most of any freshman on the team. He could he could definitely help them in, you know, being an impact player right away. I mean, he's got the athleticism. Um, I think they had a, they did some measurements in, in the off season, you know, some of that combine stuff. And I think he was measured as a as a forty five or forty six inch vertical. Jeez. It's a little bit better is, than me. A little bit better than me. I, I give, think, me give me three jumps and I'll get I there. I think both of uh, both of us <laughs> combine and you times that by just two give our me verticals three, that it probably would never jumps, get there. Yeah. Give me three jumps and I'll get there. It's fine. Um, you know, and, and so but he's not just an athlete. You know, he reminds yeah. you a little bit of George Murphy, that type okay. of explosiveness. Yeah. Um and you know, that's scary, right? Like you have a guy like that where we've talked about, about all these guys and, and we didn't mention him yet, you know, again. Uh, one of my colleagues in the Big Ten even says he could be an all-conference player okay. in the right situation. So um, forward depth, um, who did I miss? Caden um, Betts is a, is a redshirt freshman. He uh, redshirted last year. I mean, he was a four-star recruit, could easily finish his, his high school senior year in Colorado, but he decided to stick with the team. Um, and I think if you look at guys who have made a huge impact as freshmen, a lot of times in the Big Ten especially – they're guys who have redshirted. Yep. Minnesota's not had that luxury. You've seen Wisconsin do it for years. Um, Purdue's been doing it. Um, I mean, these guys aren't out there playing as redshirts. You know, it's not like football where you can play a couple games and still redshirt. Right. They haven't played, but if you practice with the team, you're there for a year, you understand the system, and then you're building your body up. 
a lot of these guys come in ready to play. Um, and I don't want to keep going off of you know Minnesota guys at other schools, but Cam Heidi for Purdue is, sure. is an example. Um, you know elsewhere where he redshirted. If you look at him now, I mean the kid looks like he, you know he's a, he's a junior in college, body wise, and you know he's ready to go. They're hoping the same thing for Caden Betts. I don't know where that fits into the rotation. I mean, yeah. he's just started practicing, but um, again, you have the 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 bodies. You know, so, I mean, if somebody doesn't come out ready to ready to play, um, like a Parker Fox or Isaiah Enan, that they need a couple games or a few games, then you have other guys that can fill in. Sounds like there's more pieces for Ben Johnson to work with than there probably were in the first two years. I mean, his his first year as Not coach, close. They, yeah. they got that off the, that's, that like kind of interesting hot start where they were kind of surprising some of us, and they won some won some games, and the Big Ten season didn't go their way last year. They just didn't have the backcourt. They had those injuries, and it just was kind of a lost season. Maybe they were, maybe they're a little bit, maybe they're like a year behind where we thought they would be. And that puts this as a pretty important year, I feel like, for Ben Johnson, for the program. How do you kind of analyze that or think about that, you know, as you think about Mark Coyle and how he might be evaluating this program, how Ben Johnson evaluates his own program, and what year three needs to be for him? Yeah, we, we talked to Mark uh, Coyle before uh, the football season, actually, just to get an overall feeling about the state of the athletic program. I mean, it's not like we were just asking him about Ben. Of course. But we're talking about it. I mean, he says pretty clear he has expectations. I mean, Coyle has expectations for the program. You know, they need to obviously win. I mean, and, and Ben knows that. Um, where does that. What does that mean as far as his future? Right. You can't really say because you brought him in as a coach that had no experience as, as a head coach. First time being a head coach is in the Big Ten. Then you have 10 players that he needs to replace in, in year one. So you're right. That year one, I think Coach Flex starts. Year zero. Year zero. Year yeah. zero. But yeah. it's, it's true. I yeah. mean, and, and the, the problem is year zero actually started off pretty well. It did, yeah. So like gave you kind of false expectations. Yes. But yeah. in this, this day and age, football, of course, basketball is the same. Transfers, you know, that can really make or break your, your season. I mean, they had several guys in his first year that had a lot of experience. Yes, they did finish last, but the way they started, it was, okay, these guys know what to do. They know exactly how to play, especially in non-conference when you're not playing Big Ten opponents. But the Big Ten season is the most important aspect of trying to gauge if, if a guy's ready or not, even if he has experience. And this year, they actually have four players back that have played in the Big Ten. Right. And, you know, last year they had, you know, a, I, th- I thought decent talent, but they, they only had one player that played in the Big Ten in Jameson Battle, you know, and, and yeah. Trayton Thompson to, to a certain extent. You know, this year, again, four players that played in the Big Ten, you have a little bit more size and, you know, Washington State transfer who played in, you know, the Pac-12, obviously, uh, soon to be gone. Uh, but, you know, I think that might translate a little bit more to seeing these guys ready, you know, in the Big Ten. Um, the schedule does mean a lot, too. Um I, you know the schedule just came out last uh, last week, so I don't have it off the top of my head. But I believe that they, you know, they open. Um, you know, uh, I think they have Michigan, you know, and and Ohio State. And if you look at those teams, I mean, last year they had down years. You know, right. um, Michigan lost a lot. Ohio State has Jamison Battle, who played here last year, local kid. That's going to be an interesting. Yeah, opening game in the Big Ten. You can't tell me that they didn't, um, you know, figure that out when they were scheduling. <laughs> right. Um, but I think again, uh, we we were going back and forth about, you know, where where do I see this team? Uh, what does that mean for Ben Johnson? Um, you know, we really don't know until Big Ten season starts. 
you know, where this team is. You know, yeah. I think if they're making uh, uh, they're making a couple steps in the right direction, you know what that means. I Last think year, you can they, see it. It's going to be more of an eye test thing than it might be just a raw number of for wins. For sure. I mean, you know, Mark didn't say that exactly, but we know what he's talking about when the expectation is to win. He's not saying that big Ben Johnson has to win the Big Ten this year, Yeah, make the NCAA term necessarily. But when you watch them, like you said, the eye test in the Big Ten, are they competitive? Last right. year they had, I think, back-to-back games where they lost by 30. Yeah. That never had never happened, you know, in the modern era of gopher basketball, you know, and they've had some pretty bad teams over the years, yes, they you know, so that can't happen again. No. You know, and, and they, they were better than that, you know. I mean, they, they were losing to Northwestern. Northwestern had a, had a really improved year last year, okay, but talent-wise, they were not that much different from Minnesota, and then, and then you lose to Northwestern by 25. Yeah. You know, that that – that just can't happen, and that's more than just talent. That's you know, that's obviously putting them in the right position to succeed. You know, what type of system do you have? Obviously, injuries play a factor in that, but you're deeper this year, so you may be able be able to handle some of that. That that just happens to every team. Yeah, I think that's the only thing that's safe to say. Probably is that you can't have another year like the one you had last year. I feel like, and, and then feel good about the direction of your program and, and where you are. But uh, maybe a couple final things for you, Marcus, as we think about this team and they start to practice this week. Like, has Ben Johnson had the personnel yet to do the things he wants to do? I mean, he he talked about all sorts of ambitions coming in, the kind of offense he wants to run, the kind of defense he wants to run. Has he been limited by personnel so far? And, and is this maybe a year where he, you know, maybe we can see more of what he can do when he has the players he wants? I think um, the answer is easily yes. Because of the transfers that he, you know, that, that, that they lost that first year. I mean, they had to replace ten guys. Yeah, I think that first year though was a little bit closer to what he wanted than last year. Not not a little bit, a lot. I mean, he, he had the experience at guard. He had the sh- the shooting ability, you know, um, and guys that understood how to play team defense. I mean, those things matter, you yeah. know. And and again, the record wasn't there, but they were competitive, you know. Like they didn't yes. get blown out too much in that first year. I mean, it, it, it was what it was. They ended up last, but. I think, you know, you could have easily looked at the beginning of the year and said, okay, this team has a chance to make the postseason. That's probably NIT, but that was where they were headed, you know, until, again, the bottom fell out. There were some injuries. But last year was a train wreck Yes, at, at some point, and there was no turning back. You knew you were kind of waiting to, for it to end. And then I'm sure even guys on the team uh, was heading in that direction at the end of the year. But So I think what we're seeing is, Yes, we have some guards that can shoot the ball. We have some guards that understand defensively, okay, what 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 he expects. We have some players returning from last year who played in the Big Ten and then understands what kind of toughness you need to have. He added some physicality, you know. Again, you have a, a Farrell Payne who I think is one of the most more, the more physically imposing players in the Big Ten. You know, when you take out Edie, who's right. seven four three hundred. Um, so I mean, they've again the pieces like you said are there. This is more of the team that he believes he can win with. What does that mean in, in, you know, the number? I don't know. But I definitely think that we will see, you know, luckily we'll see in those early December Big Ten games, oh, okay, you know, they're competitive. I don't know if they'll win both games, but it's like, oh, okay, you know. This looks looks different, yeah. Their non-conference schedule will not test them. No. Could they lose one of those games? Sure. I mean, obviously the Gophers lost to Northwestern football. But <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> yes. Sorry, somehow, sorry some to bring way. that up on a basketball somehow, podcast. Some way. I still don't know how they did that, but we've talked about that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, that non-conference schedule has a chance to build confidence. You know, build. You know, pick up some wins, 
And then when you hit those two, first two Big Ten games, you're like, oh, okay, we need to tweak this. Uh, but we're close, you yeah. know. And and I, I, you know, I'm excited for it because you have, like I said, the pieces. You have uh, um, a, a season where you know I don't think the Big Ten necessarily is that strong top to bottom. The yeah. top is uh, unbelievable with a couple teams, Purdue and Michigan State. But after that, I I saw a couple preseason polls that didn't have any Big Ten teams ranked. Wow. After two top five, right. top ten teams, which right. is it's surprising, but that's the way it always goes, you know. And you sort themselves lot. out. Yeah. yeah, in the Big Ten, there's always teams that, that surprise. And could Minnesota be that? Um, I think we'll probably see in, in early December. Where do you think Ben's head's at, final thing? Like, he's been through a lot. He came in here, it was like COVID times. It was, you know, he's dealing with the bigger rise of NLI, everything like that. Like, it's it's a lot to uh, NIL, sorry, not NLI, yeah. name major like this. He's, his coach, I mean, coaches are, are are a little bit overwhelmed, I think, you know, in, yeah. in college sports, um, especially ones that, 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 you know, I'm not saying he's on the hot seat, but ones that haven't won yet, they haven't proven themselves. Yeah. You know, so there, yeah, there is a lot to unpack. Um, I think that he understands that, that, that Mark Coyle um, has been patient with him. So that's good. Um, fans not necessarily <laughs> fans want it all right, right away they I mean, do uh, they, have, they have patience to a degree yeah. i think last year turned a few people they're like sure. this should look better in year two and sure. it's just for a variety of circumstances just didn't yeah so i think again uh you want to be a, a coach that that has the support of the administration and you know i mean they lost their president um but mark's you know he's he's supportive of a band i mean he hired him you know that's always kind of eerie when you you you're inherited. You go into a situation where the AD didn't hire you, right? And, he's, he's and the president yes. didn't hire you. And then you're yeah. like, "Oh no, right. <laughs> my guys are gone." Who wants you know? me? Yeah. Right? But yeah, the, the, I think that he knows that uh, he needs to win. The fans don't need to tell him. Mark yeah. doesn't need to tell him. You know, uh, his his parents don't need to tell him. No, you know, we don't need to tell him. <laughs> my my dad my dad doesn't need to text me. He knows. me and tell him. So he knows. He knows. Yeah. Well, whether he gets it done and they get it done is a question for, you know, a little ways down the line, but practice started this week, kind of ramping up for that. Marcus Fuller, always appreciate it. Good to see you face-to-face in the studio, and I'm sure we'll do this a lot more as time goes on. You can count on it. Appreciated the chance to catch up with Marcus Fuller. He does a great job, of course, covering Gophers men's basketball. Framed this season up nicely, got me thinking about things in maybe a slightly different way. I, you know, after talking to him, I was like, man, this this team hasn't been very good consistently for a very long time. And then it struck me. I went back and looked like maybe some of you guys know this and I probably like maybe in my head knew this, but they've only had one winning season in the Big Ten, one winning season in the Big Ten since 2005. That is amazing to me. I was floored when I saw that. I mean, they've had some decent seasons. They've been 500 in the in the conference a couple times. I think that's maybe back to the Tubby Smith era. They had the really good year with uh, Richard Pitino a few years back where they were, I think, 11 and 7 in the conference. But that was the only time, that one season, you know, back four or five years ago, that was the only time they were more they, that they were over 500 in the Big Ten. That is a big hill to climb. It has not been good here for almost 20 years. That's a big hole for Ben Johnson to try to climb out of. I don't think they're going to get all the way out of it this year, but they need to show some progress this year in getting out of that uh, that kind of cycle of either mediocrity or lately being very, very bad. Let's finish with the cooler. Two Vikings kind of related questions, rants. I'm not sure how you would put it. Um, the first one, let's deal with the present. Justin says, Michael, on your podcast, you stated a trade of Kirk Cousins would be viable if the Vikings lost to the Chargers, which they did. 
There is zero chance Cousins would waive his no-trade clause, Justin writes. What incentive does he have to waive it? None! Double exclamation point. Cousins wants to have the best season possible before he negotiates a new contract with the Vikings or elsewhere. The best place to accomplish that is in Minnesota. Additionally, I highly doubt Kirk wants the family disruption that comes with being traded. I think there's some good points in there. Um, the no trade clause is a big deal. The family disruption is a big deal. I get that. I do, however, think there is a scenario where that that this would become more palatable to him. And I think maybe I expressed this on a different show, uh, maybe you know a couple shows ago. Can't remember exactly when it was, but if things continue to go south, and again, he's having a very good year, but by and large, he's he's got some turnovers. You know, the ball security has not been great. They've come at really bad times, but throwing the ball, he's by and large been very good this season. But the Vikings are zero and three. That is a fact. And they've got tough games coming up. Two of their next four are home games against San Francisco and uh, and Kansas City. The other two are road games against two very bad teams, uh, the the Panthers and the Bears. So somewhere in there, they have a chance to get better. But the, you know, the two home games are really daunting, and road games are road games. And this team has shown they can lose to anybody so far this season. So I'm not taking anything for granted. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I am saying this: if this progresses to a point where the Vikings are Two and six. Let's say they're two and six before the trade deadline. That would mean they'd lost two of these next four, or you know, three of these next four, and then won their game against Green Bay a couple days before the deadline. Let's say they're two and six, and they go to Kirk Cousins and they say, "Hey, we've got a trade on the table. Maybe it's the Jets. I don't know. The Jets do have a need. They brought in Trevor Simeon. I don't think he's the answer, but uh, he is a former Vikings quarterback, sort of. He never played when he was here, but he was sort of a Viking, former Vikings quarterback. He was Kirk Cousins' backup um, a few years back, but." Maybe the Jets will still have a need. Maybe they'll be close enough in the race. Maybe they will have decided that they just can't live with Zach Wilson anymore. Anyway, whatever it might be, the Vikings might say to the might say to Kirk Cousins, "Look, we've got a potential trade on on the uh, on the table here. You are not our guy next year. You're a free agent next year. We have decided that we need to move on. Um, you you've been really good for us. You you've done your best. You've given us you know trips to the playoffs. You've given us solid quarterback play for." five and a half years it would be at that point but you're not our guy next season we are turning to the future we want to see what we have in jaron hall um so we're going to give him a look here the rest of the season again this is maybe far-fetched i get it that maybe this is far-fetched because um because they still would have realistic potential you know even if it's long shot hope they've got a, a softer schedule post post buy i get that or post trade deadline i get that but there could be a scenario where the Vikings are bad enough and they come to Cousins and say, look, do you really want to go into free agency sitting out the last half of the season being ostensibly benched? I don't know. That That's the that's the path I see to Kirk Cousins saying, okay, I would rather go play somewhere, maybe win somewhere, be viewed as a savior to a team that needs a quarterback than be in a bad situation where a team is losing, the team's not having a good season. So that's the route I can see. I, I get it. I get that minimal family disruption is probably a big deal to Kirk Cousins. I get it that he's going to want to put up big numbers here with this big offense. I think those things are in play, and I think all of this is moot if the Vikings start to rally and are at least in some sort of position before the trade deadline to feel like, hey, we could make a run and we could keep going and, and we'll, we'll we'll let the chips fall, with, fall where they may next season. I get all that. I just think there's a non-zero chance. That's the path I see to them potentially doing a Kirk Cousins deal. 
finally, George sent this a couple weeks ago after Jeff Day and I did our uh, sequence and our, our two-part series on the best and worst Vikings moments of all time. Uh, he writes... And the subject line, I love this, was history began in 1998, question mark. He said, I understand that you're young, but if you preface a piece as history, don't pay lip service to the 60s and 70s Vikings. And his point being, there were a lot of great moments that happened before I happened to start watching the Vikings. And we mentioned a couple of them, but he got into great detail on a lot of things and started sending me down a little bit of a rabbit hole to a game that I probably didn't know nearly enough about, the, the championship game, the NFC title game after the 1976 season, which happens to be the last time the Vikings went to the Super Bowl, which happens to be the year I was born, mentioned two things. Bobby Bryant returning a blocked field goal 90 yards for a touchdown. Instead of trailing the Rams 3-0, they go up 7-0. He says, there's a thing called YouTube. Check it out. So I did. That was a spectacular sequence. The Vikings stopped the Rams like four times at the goal, or three times at the goal line. Twice the Rams thought they'd scored a touchdown. Instead, the Rams decided to kick a field goal from like the half yard yard line it gets blocked vikings go up seven nothing and he mentioned another play in that game where the vikings were up 17 13 um bobby bryant comes streaking over leaves his guy and uh, intercepts a pass which would have been maybe the game-winning touchdown i watched it the guy looked wide open and instead bryant makes the play what a game for bobby bryant and i i would have to say that game does qualify we're so used to or i'm so used to because of my age i'm so used to nfc title game heartbreak right like i was two months old the last time the vikings went to the super bowl and you know fans of a different generation have the Super Bowl pain, but they got to see the Vikings win four different NFC title games. And me, as someone who grew up watching the Vikings and has now, you know, observed them from a media standpoint for almost 25 years now, helping cover some of these games, watching a lot of these games to stay, you know, to stay in the know on them. What what I know, what I've watched over the years is is that NFC title game heartbreak, not those moments of exhilaration in those games. So Good point. You're right. Maybe that deserved to be in the top 10. If I was a little bit older, maybe it would have. Uh, maybe an addendum. Maybe a, a best the best uh, 10 moments that I don't remember from Vikings history. Maybe we'll do that sometime, George. But thank you for sending me down that YouTube rabbit hole. That's probably a, bl- a play and a game I should write about sometime because that was pretty, that seemed like it was pretty spectacular. And it was, like I said, the last time they made it to the Super Bowl. That'll do it for me today. Thanks for listening. Um, Good stuff coming up the rest of this week. Randy Johnson joins me tomorrow to talk go for football, coming off that terrible, um, disappointing loss to Northwestern after they were up 31-10 on Saturday. Sarah McClellan expected to join me on Friday show to talk wild hockey, that preseason underway, and the regular season just around the corner. Until then, I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow. Tomorrow.